I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Jonathan, how are you? Seth, I'm fine. We abandoned How's It Hanging pretty quickly, didn't we, after a few yes. a few episodes ago? That's okay. Yeah. That was for the best. I think so, too. Here's a question for you. Okay, I'm here for it. What would you do in this particular situation? With a wedding starting soon, would you want to not be able to find your shoes or not be able to find your tie? Man. Okay, so... I have this really weird story about forgetting my shoes that I think I need to, need to share. So I was, it was right when I was getting ready to graduate from college. I was going to move to Northern Virginia. Abby and I were going to get married in a few months, like making that transition. But I was coming, coming down to interview for an internship at the church that I would later be working at. Uh, not for this internship, coincidentally. <laughs> But I got down there and realized that the only shoes that I brought with me for the like my whole trip, like several days of a trip down there, were a pair of Toms, like these just like slip on shoes. So not only did I have to go to an interview with like, you know, coat, tie, dress pants, the whole deal, wearing Toms with no socks. We were also going on a hike that weekend, so I also hiked in those same toms, <laughs> the same trip. Wait, what color were they? They were like, they were like a, they were probably like a dark denim, like a dark blue. Okay, okay. Yeah. It wasn't like they were white or anything, yeah, and then I got mud all over them and had to go into a job interview. It wasn't quite that bad, but it was still pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so because of all of that, and having gone through the devastation of forgetting my shoes before, I'm going to go with a tie. Because you could still pull off a good look without a tie. It is truly an unnecessary accessory that I really don't understand. But going without your shoes requires a little bit more explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you that the tie is, a, is an additional accessory. But I wonder if once you got into the wedding, if anyone would notice if you weren't wearing shoes. So I might do the shoes. Go without the shoes. Like slide in real fast. Try not to see anybody. And then like once you sit down, people, people probably won't notice. There's absolutely no way <laughs> that no one would notice you run and slide in and then sit by yourself for the entire time. And, and I get it, like, at the reception, sure, more shoes come off when the dancing starts. But these days, I don't know. It just feels, <laughs> it feels like a real stretch 
to think about <laughs> no one noticing you doing like a dramatic like running in and then like sliding into your chair and <laughs> and then trying to hide your feet somehow. That does not seem like a realistic possibility. See, I think today people were too busy looking at your at your mask and like how close you are to them to look at your shoes. At least no. if you remember to tie, you could use that as your mask if you forgot yeah. a mask. Wear a mask, everybody. Do your part. Was that whole thing just a public service announcement about wearing masks? About... <laughs> <laughs> or is it actually related to the scripture today? It, it's it's related. There's it's related. a there's a wedding. There's a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. With that. Will you read our scripture for today? Yeah, I'd love to. This is Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1 from the message. God's kingdom is like ten young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him, and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, He's here! The bridegroom's here! Go out and greet him! The ten virgins got up and got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, There might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here. Let us in. He answered, Do I know you? I don't think I know you. (laughs) So, stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. Silly virgins. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Seth, before we talk about the silly virgins and their lack of oil for their lamps, why did you go with the message for today's translation? And if it's for any reason other than the fact that it includes the phrase silly virgins, I might be disappointed. Okay, well, that's not the only reason. Okay, good. (laughs) But I do think that that's that's a good line. But I also think that the message does maybe the best job making this parable read like a story some other translations make this parable seem like it's just so dull but this and eugene peterson's kind of attempt to make it really readable i think makes it seem more like somebody's just telling you a story which i think starts to get at the way jesus tells his parables Hmm. if jesus parables were really boring nobody would have remembered them so i think that there at least has to be some entertaining quality about jesus parables and i think that this this gets at that so now do we get to talk about silly virgins (laughs) i'm uncomfortable (laughs) okay same (laughs) okay we should stop no i think for me though the contrast here is it's really striking and i feel kind of like the disciples like i really don't know what jesus is talking about when he's going through this like what is the oil what is what is the wedding like all these things that are going on just from hearing this passage 
I'm sure that you have more more context and some information to share that will make it stand out a little more. But I think for me, the the moment in the story that stands out is is the fact that the smart virgins said when the silly virgins ask for oil, they're like, no, we don't have enough. Go get your own. Like that moment, I don't really know what it means, but it stands out to me as a really significant one. And honestly, if the smart one, the smart virgins, I almost said smart ones, but that sounds worse <laughs> at this point. The smart virgins, they like are the ones who are kind of uplifted as the people of good character or like the, the exemplary characters in this story. And when someone came to them asking for something that they needed, that they had, they said, no, go get your own, which doesn't <laughs> feel in line with how I'm ingrained to think about like helping people. And I don't know, it just, that moment really stood out to me, but I think I need a little more help understanding what, what this story is all about. Okay. No problem. And it, some, some translations, instead of using the term virgins, we'll use young women or we'll use bridesmaids. So may, maybe we should favor one of those terms instead of keep instead of referring to them as smart virgins and silly virgins, even yeah. if that's what Eugene Peterson does. Maybe, yeah. That might help yeah, us out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> give us give us some different language to use. But to your point about kind of what's happening with the wedding and what's what's with all these oil lamps. In weddings in the ancient Near East, it was the tradition that the kind of the bride and like her entourage, like we would think of like a bridal party, would get ready at her parents' house. And the groom and his groomsmen would get ready at his parents' house. And then they would... They would all come from the groom's parents' house to the bride's parents' house and take her back to his parents' house. And on the way, it's like it's like a big celebration. It's like everybody's like partying kind of during the trip. It's like how I think of like when people and may, some people still do this, I guess, rent limos for their wedding and they like get mm. to party in the limo on the way and on the way to the reception. Like, it's just like a continuation of that. Yeah. Of like, what makes it one big party. So I hope that that starts to get at, okay, like, what, yeah, that what's helps, happening. That helps me understand the story, like, the story in the context a little bit. And I think also just, like, thinking about it more, you know, I know the imagery of, like, Jesus returning eventually, coming at this unexpected time. The imagery of a wedding, the imagery of Jesus being a bridegroom, kind of coming in in this situation as a comparison for that time of returning. Um, and that last verse, staying alert because you don't have any idea when he might arrive, that that stands out as particularly important here too. It seems like this narrative that is highlighting something that's really important about what to expect when you're expecting God's return and I'm still like, I think especially because I'm removed culturally from these wedding metaphors specifically, and it's so different from our experience and understanding of weddings, it's real easy to kind of get caught up and bogged down in the details and not be able to make as direct of a connection as someone of the time would be. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that context. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like one of the things that makes this story hard is that the groom doesn't go, usually doesn't go pick up the bride at her parents' house now and take takes her back home in, in a party, right? Is there anything else that you thought, oh, that's, that's kind of strange, that's interesting while you were reading our passage? I did find it interesting that the door was locked after the initial entourage went inside. You know, it, I guess it prevents wedding crashers. and <laughs> But that was just an interesting detail that I'm sure has has either some cultural grounding or some or some more information behind it that I'm just not aware of. Uh, but it was an interesting moment. It's like, well, if they had just gone to oil, couldn't they have just shown up to the party a little later? But it was clearly very important for those for those t- uh, those women to accompany the bridegroom into the wedding at that time. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's true. You're you're getting at what I think the point is. Mm. Were we ready to transition in that direction then, you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I've read a couple commentaries on this, and there's kind of two strands of thought. One is that you need to bring extra oil. You need to be prepared all the time because if you're out getting more oil and the bridegroom comes, well, and you're not ready, you're not there, you're out of luck. You're not, you're not going to be able to go with him. But the other one, which I think I'm partial to, in, in all honesty, is that the reason the bridesmaids who don't have their oil can't get in is that they don't have their priorities straight. What's important when the bridegroom shows up isn't that all the lamps are lit. The important thing is that you're there waiting for him and ready. So I wondered if this story helps us to to think about our priorities and to think about how we can align them with God kind of in the interim before the bridegroom comes back, no matter when he arrives. I certainly want to explore that, but there's something that's standing out to me that makes me want to consider a potentially different avenue as we're looking at this story. Sure. And it's the... So it's we're, we're reading the story with the assumption that the... And I think based on the structure, that the the women in the story are the, the main characters and they're like the moral example. And yet, all the lamps would have been lit if the bridegroom showed up when he was expected to <laughs> yeah and so i'm like so i i realize that my concept of time is also very different from the concept of time here i'm under i'm understanding that something's supposed to happen at this set hour and minute of the day whereas in many other parts of the world today even let alone in the time of the the gospels things don't start until the people who are there get them started it, it feels like it feels like for the bridegroom to come back when the when the women who needed to go get oil come and knock on the door. It feels like when he answers and says, I don't know you. Like, well, if you had showed up on time, <laughs> maybe you would. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I think when, especially with stories that have like such strong gender dynamics in play, like I want to, I want to ask those questions. I think I'm really stretching for something here. Because I, I still think that 
your your idea of of priorities, not necessarily of like preparedness, but realizing that having the right priorities even without being fully prepared, I think that resonates more so as a message of this text. I just think it's an interesting thought experiment to think about what would have happened if the bridegroom showed up on time. This is interesting because in both of my kind of potential interpretations were the bridesmaids, but what if we're somehow the bridegroom? What if we flipped that? Hmm. Which I haven't really thought about till now. So I this, haven't either. This is this is interpretation on the fly, but right. Well, if that's the if that's the case, then I I still think similar points can be made. Like, what's the priority of your traveling and your journey? Is it taking your time? Did you come across an unexpected an unexpected delay of some sort that was like a legitimate reason for you being late? Oh no, these are the these are the questions in the in the white fire of the text, the the space between the words on the page or on the screen that leave things unsaid that still allow us space to encounter God through the through the pages of the Bible. I don't know. There is also something when you said that out loud in me that reacts so strongly because it's like, no, but Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. <laughs> like this, like, yeah. oh God. <laughs> There's always room to explore, even if we come to a conclusion that you know, says, yeah, that might not have worked out the way we thought it would have. Like, exactly. there's there's room to explore it. I just think that one of the gifts that I most appreciate from scholars who conduct feminist and womanist biblical interpretation is to take roles like these ones and stories like these ones and ask those questions that can flip the story on its head and pursue a different avenue of meaning that, meaning that talks about those that have been cast aside and pushed to the margins who's you know these women whose role is simply to accompany this man who shows up on a whim at any time whenever whenever he feels like it it's like they're they are also now the ones being being punished for his schedule or his 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 delay and like i think i i do not think that the you know the avenues that you presented and what we're talking about now I also don't think that, th- that those stories are mutually exclusive either. I think we're potentially just rotating the diamond of the Bible a little bit and the light might mm-hmm. be reflecting and refracting a little bit different, a little bit differently. There's just a lot of room for us to explore in stories like this, especially when we ask questions that we may not have asked of it before. And I think you're right. This all to me kind of revolves around this idea of priorities. Like yes. what, what would make you late? And what priorities might be askew to make you late? Like, it seems like it's he's really late. Like, they, they're they there waiting. They run out of oil. They have time to leave and go get more. Like, and then he finally comes while they're at the store. Like, like he's off. He's awfully late. Kind of what, what priorities are not in order then? I think you're right that it. Even when I asked the question of what if we're the bridegroom, I felt my own reaction to that question. But the text never explicitly identifies Jesus as the bridegroom, although that's the history of its interpretation. So I think we have some room to ask these questions. Yeah. And it's one thing to also see the imagery in scripture elsewhere. But if it's not explicit here, you're right. I think that there's space for at least that level of exploration. 
And I think when it comes to priorities, though, I guess my question then is the implications. So if so, whether or not these five young women were were they unprepared or didn't have their priorities straight, at the end of the day, they weren't led into the wedding feast. There is something about my... It's both a modern sensibility of like inclusiveness, but also a core conviction of my faith of like God being one who is gracious and loving and welcoming. That because, I don't know, because they didn't have oil and were going to get more to do something that they were supposed to be doing, that they can't come in a little bit later... Well, I guess it's much, it does say much later. So <laughs> apparently took them a long time too to go to the oil store. <laughs> <laughs> but I think as I'm, as I'm translating this to the context, the apparent, apparent um, setting of the meaning of the parable, it just feels like a moment that stands in contrast to some of the ways that I would like to believe and like to hope that God or Jesus would ask to those that might be coming a little later. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I'm wondering if that's if that's relieved somehow by making us the bridegroom again. Like, and then the question becomes, what? Who are we keeping out? Because we think their priorities aren't straight. Hmm. They didn't. They didn't have what we thought they needed to have at the time. And maybe they were working on it, but now somehow we're keeping them out. Yeah. I feel that same tension that I think you were expressing. That I want God to open the door no matter when people show up, right? Like, yeah. Okay, they're late to the party, but you can still come. Have a seat. Come in. Thanks Thanks for getting extra oil. That That's wonderful. Like We, we can use your lamps to light our party now. Yeah, that... That imagery just see it when our interpretation leads us to an image of God that feels petty and shame inducing, and it makes me feel like we're missing something in our understanding. And of course, there are a whole ton of different images for God, and the images of God in the Bible are not entirely consistent all the time either. But to just have God have Jesus be the one who shows up whenever the hell he wants and then just keeps everyone who what didn't happen to be there at the time out. That doesn't feel consistent to me with the general thrust of the character of God throughout, throughout scripture and throughout like the, the documented human experience of God too. I'm, I'm struggling with that a little bit. Me too. And maybe we, Maybe that's where this podcast is going. I think for me, my struggle is I'm going to talk myself out of this podcast. Jonathan's going to kick me off. Is There's always this, this tension between the text and then what I see as the gospel message. Mm. And sometimes I wonder if the, the text limits us from hearing and seeing and experiencing that gospel message. So it's almost like a conflict or a tension between the words and the word, capital W, so to speak, right? Like this, 
exactly this, this idea that the concept not just the concept of the good news but like the good news of what jesus offers to the world coming in conflict with the words of that very good news and for me it feels like those things need to be need to be in conversation with each other like sure there's there's a limit to it you know my tradition affirms that yes scripture is important but human reason and the tradition of the church and human experience all also have something to bear when gaining knowledge and and experiencing God in different ways. Like even that phrase is, is about more than just the words of the Bible, bringing all of that in conversation with scripture and in a very Wesleyan way, in the quadrilateral way, the, the, in conversation with scripture and tradition and reason and experience, we begin to almost develop that understanding of the capital W word that goes beyond what's written. And then upon revisiting it, we're like, oh, wait, there's something else going on here. And and I think whether or not we recognize it, no matter what our view of the Bible is, we always come to it with certain lenses on and we always come away from it with those lenses affecting our interpretation of the Bible, mm-hmm. saying our perspectives are based on a clear and simple reading of the Bible. Like that is an interpretive choice. And when, when those things are in, if we, we see them as like, well, this is what it says. And therefore that's what I do. Like you're making the assumption that your understanding of what it says is the correct or a correct way of reading it especially when it's devoid of connection to any of your other lived experience. Hmm. So what do you think? Are we the bridegroom? Or are we the silly virgins? (laughs) I'm not convinced we're the bridegroom, but that was an interesting thought experiment. I think there are certainly situations where we can play that role. Maybe Mm -hmm. not in like the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of things that Jesus's parable is pointing to here, but there are certainly situations where we have the opportunity to unlock the door, even when some other influence is telling us not to, especially Mm -hmm. when those who have been kept out have been kept out by something that is at least partially related to our own action. Mm -hmm. But I think, Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm with you. I think it's worth exploring, but I don't necessarily know that that's a fair like main takeaway from from what's what's presented here but certainly again worth considering and I think some of the things that came about as a result of our exploration there were really powerful too. I agree this is like a a primer in how to I don't how to play while you interpret I don't know what the word is like right sometimes I think our our interpretation is, is is its own exploration, right? Yeah. Trying things and and seeing that that doesn't work. Okay, let me try this other. Well, if anything, it's it's about the importance of like making sure that you've named your assumptions when you come to yeah. the Bible, yeah. whether that's something about you that you're bringing to the text, or it's something about the story that you've encountered so many times before that you just know to be true, but you haven't ever challenged that thought. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, if you're looking at the story of Jesus's birth narratives, it's like, 
oh well jesus there was no root there were no rooms at the inn like there is no yeah there's no there's no mention of an inn there's like yeah, exactly. the hotel wouldn't have been a concept at the time <laughs> like those popular understandings or even our own personal understandings of sto- of stories in the bible they need to be need to be challenged not just for those minute details but sometimes for the general thrust of how we're understanding them we've been talking about how priorities kind of weave their way through this text and i guess my point about how the bible can get in the way sometimes of the word or of the gospel is also a question of priorities like what what do i hold kind of as the highest end like is it the bible or is there something actually higher than it Mm. and for me I'm not going to speak for myself. I won't speak for you, Jonathan. For me, there is actually something, right, that's that's higher than the Bible. I keep calling it the, the gospel, but maybe that's too abstract, too. So I would say something like, what's, what's even more important to me than the Bible is God's unrelenting, unconditional love for the world and the way that we respond to that by loving the world in return. Like, that's even higher yeah than the text i'm I'm right there with you it's like the bible the bible is meaningful it's interesting it's like yeah. like an interesting Agreed. scholarly source Agreed. but it is meaningful insofar as it introduces us to the person and the character of god through the work of the holy spirit it is not an end unto itself and if it becomes an end unto itself we are living a life that is disconnected from from the sacred, from the divine. And I, I'm, I'm with you. It's like those things that we can then identify and articulate as more important. And I, I, I'm right there with you. The, the concept of unconditional divine love and our call to reciprocate that to God and to the world around us. Like that then becomes the intentional lens that we return to the scripture with. Yep. And that scripture encounter then shapes how we understand that love. And that's then the same love that we approach our our congregations and communities with that we the lens that we see our human experience through like that's the starting point and the returning point as we allow that idea to engage with the stories of our lives my attempt was to try and bring us back to the text to think about those priorities which we kind of took away from our story right either as the as the bridegroom or as the smart virgins or the silly virgins right there's some type of priorities that are that are messed up and we can even have our priorities messed up when our priority is the bible because we can easily make that an idol feels like a good a good word to end on seth then will you pray with me i'd love that gracious god you are the one whose priorities are always in order You never show up late, never run out of oil, never leave us to seek more. Help our priorities to align with yours, that our actions are always aimed toward you and all that you love. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? 
Next week, we're going to take a look at the 123rd Psalm, Psalm 123. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.